0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Anybody give somebody a Christmas gift that they regretted giving that happened anywhere in this room this Christmas cuz it happened it happened at my house. I'm just going to go ahead and confess that this morning, um, there's there's some things that you should just never buy your wife. Now I've heard I've heard that before. I've heard some women got pretty upset because their husband came home for Valentine's Day and gave them a new mixer or something like that, right? I've heard that some some women have gotten upset about that. But there's there's some things I'm not. Well, I might as well just go ahead and say that I did it. Um, but. Uh, so, so at Christmas, there's, there's some things that you should never do. If, if the gift that you're giving comes in sizes, make sure you check the size before you give it. It's so a little bit of advice right there. If it comes in sizes, make sure that you check the size. If the sizes are sized according to weight... Do not trust the bin that you get that thing out of. All right, that's all I'm going to say. Do not trust that bin because you will regret giving your wife a gift if I don't. I don't care what her weight is if the weight on that gift is one and a half times what her weight is actually. You will regret having given that gift. There's a, a time. Time actually came out this past week with a an article of the gifts that people tend to. regret giving it's it's kind of interesting this time of year isn't it it's interesting because there is such hope as we look forward and so at this time of year so many people around us have embraced resolutions and promises and commitments and new plans and new ways of doing life but at the same time looking backwards Over their life, they're regretting some things that they have done. Let me just submit this to you this morning that regrets do not have to be condemnation for you. They don't have to be that. Regrets often for us point us in the direction of the person that we want to become. When we look back and we regret, I regret not spending enough time with my kids. That points me in the direction of recognizing that I want to be a better father. When I look back and I realize that I didn't make my marriage as big of a priority this last year as it should have been. That gives me the direction of I need and want and even desire inside of myself to become a better husband. You see, regrets don't have to be things that nail us down. They can be things that free us. And the truth is is that when I look back through my life, one of the scariest things to me is how deeply motivating fear can become. How we can often, even at times, embrace fear as something that seems legitimately healthy. But all the while, all it's doing is crippling us. As a matter of fact, I would go this far to say this is in your notes, that our deepest regrets will always be rooted in fear. It was a year ago, to, almost to the date, that we had the first meeting for Vortex. It's 12 adults, one kid, and that was mine. (laughs) We were huddled in a conference room talking about the dream of what we could do in Stanley County. Can I honestly tell you, I preached last year. New Year's fell on a Sunday, and I preached that Sunday at our last church, the church that I served, and I said to them, in 20 years i would be scared to death to look back and not have risked everything to be obedient to jesus i would i i can't let the fear of taking this next step and not knowing where my income is going to come from not knowing where my my home is going to be not knowing how our finances are going to resolve i can't not, I can't let fear keep me from that. But I'm afraid that when we get to the end of life and we look back, that unfortunately, we're going to look back and there's going to be things that we go, I wonder what that could have been like. And so, as we begin to step into this new season where we look forward and say, what if, my what if is what if. We decided to stop living in fear and start living in security. The world that we live in is a world that is filled with things today that will make you afraid. All you got to do is turn on Fox News and watch it for like 20 minutes. You have every reason you need to be afraid. The economy's bad. There's no jobs. The president's not doing his job. Congress didn't either. The world, every other every other nation in the whole wide world, their economy's about to collapse too. I mean, all you got to do is watch that stuff, and all of a sudden, it's really easy to go, "Man, I don't, I don't feel very secure." but I don't want us to get to the next step in this journey and look back as a, as a church and even for you just individually as you take these next steps for us to look back and go, what if? What if I had obeyed God there when I felt like God was telling us to do this, but it was so easy and convenient and it was really scary to do the other thing. For the next four weeks, we're going to zero in on three chapters in the Bible. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We most often call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded talk by Jesus. And if you have a moment over the next few days, I would encourage you just in one sitting to sit down and read. If you have a Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, it will all be read. Because as I read through this, as I read through this, and I did this in in October, I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount during my, my personal study time. And over and over, God continued to convey the same message through what Jesus was saying. And it was simply this, you can trust me. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over is proving that we can trust God. You can trust God. You see, you don't have to live in fear. When you choose to follow Jesus, you can live in security. Now this this week I've I've thought about this tension and really the tension of fear is the problem is not being afraid. It's not the the uh, concept of being afraid of something, to be honest with you, if there's a Mack truck coming down twenty four twenty seven and I pushed you out in front of it, you probably should be a little bit afraid of the Mack truck, right? There's some things in life that when we sense them and see them, fear is a, a natural response to that. The pro- what we're talking about is an underlying motivation in life of fear. What's motivating your behavior? Because fear as a motivator sits in tandem and intention between faith. They're, they're on opposite ends of a very similar spectrum. They both say the same thing, but they say it with opposite perspectives. Fear says God can't do it. Whatever it is, Fear says God can't, but faith says God can. Fear says God can't. Worry says God can't. Anxiety says God can't, but faith says God can't. And as we navigate a world that has filled itself with fear. It is important to live here as people of faith. It's important to be the kind of people that navigate this world. Not with a perspective of fear or even with a motive of fear. But as a foundation of faith. Now, we're going to read a passage of Scripture, Matthew 5. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. As we read through this, I want to just kind of point point out to you. These are often called, this is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture for you. It's Matthew 5. It's called the Beatitudes. And as we read through it, it's going to be very easy for you to go, that has nothing to do with fear. We're going to take some time and go back through and look at how, as Jesus opens this message, he immediately begins the first thing that we have to do to step out of fear and into security. Would you read with me? If you don't have your Bibles, we will have the words on the screen. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Jesus is teaching us as he opens this brilliant sermon. Dallas Willard, this great Christian writer, said one time, Jesus is brilliant and and I, as I was studying this, now I have, I've preached this before and studied it, but I'm going to be honest with you, as I was studying it again, I rarely go into the Greek with you guys, but I will today because Jesus is brilliant. As he begins to open this, he is not just teaching us like in the, in the positive as he goes through this. He's teaching us in the negative as well. So, so, for example, in verse 4, he said, Blessed are, blessed are those who, who mourn, right? For they will be shown comfort, right? The opposite is true as well. Bless, when, when we don't mourn, when we don't allow ourselves to go through that mourning when there's great loss, there will be no comfort, I mean, Jesus in his brilliance is, is teaching us both in the positive and the negative as he walks us through. But he's also presenting what is a remarkable contrast between the modern world that we live in and the world that he designed. The way that he wants us to live. That there is this great chasm. And and he starts not by saying. Hey you know what. Y'all blowing it. So let me just tell you how to do it. He, he starts by addressing. Perspectives of the heart. And What I realize. As we look through this passage. Is this. Is that we need to make a shift if we're going to live lives in security. Something has to change. If we're going to live lives that aren't motivated by fear, live lives that are lived in security with my relationship to God, there's something in me that's going to have to shift. You see, Oftentimes at this time of year, what we propose to ourselves through resolutions and promises is the wrong shift. We propose the wrong shift. Sometimes for some of us, we address issues of provision. And so we say to ourselves, you know, we, we don't have enough money or I haven't spent my money the right way. So this year I'm going to resolve to create a budget and I'm going to live within my means. Because the problem last year was money. Sometimes we make the issue people and we look at our lives and we say, you know, I just don't have the right friends or the right acquaintances. And so what I'm going to do is stop hanging out with those folks that I spent time with last year and I'm going to go find some new people to spend some time with this year. Sometimes we think it's an issue of power where we feel like I I do not have enough authority and responsibility and so what I'm going to resolve to do in my life right now is to work harder and gain more responsibility and acquire that in my life. But see, all of those shifts are the wrong shift. To live our lives in security, it is of epic importance that we make Jesus our security. If we're going to live lives that are lived in security, Jesus has to become our security. And it's remarkable, as you walk through this passage of Scripture, how God demonstrates to us, through the words of Jesus, the way to do that. That if something is going to shift, and, and, and Jesus, instead of money, or power, or prestige, or any kind of influence, Jesus is going to become my security through this passage of Scripture, God demonstrates some things. And here's, I'm just going to give you a few, a few uh, steps as, as Jesus kind of pulls these things out for us. The first one is this, that you have to be willing to fight for the right thing. You have to be willing to fight for the right thing. How many of you, at some point in your life, look back and go, I spent a lot of effort, energy, and I fought for the wrong thing. And I poured my heart into work so that we could get more money because I felt like if we got more money, we would have less bills. But somehow, when we got more money, we had more bills. Right? Does that make any sense to anybody? But that's how it works, isn't it? Maybe it's My home wasn't the kind of life that I was thinking I needed. And so I poured my life into other relationships and neglected my kids and my spouse. You see, we've got to be willing to fight, but we've got to be willing to fight for the right thing. Because if we're not fighting for the right thing in life, What you fight for will end up breaking you. And as you fight for it, you will break other people. In verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. I'm just going to turn in my Bible to that again. Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Now, what's interesting is the language that the writer Matthew is using in that short little phrase is a very descriptive language. He's describing... Literally a process that would have been used to purify gold. So when he says pure in heart, oftentimes as we read that, we look at that and we think about somebody like a child. Or somebody that we think, man, they're just so sweet, innocent, and good. But when, when Jesus is using that word, he's using that word to describe somebody who's been through something. Okay, it's not like a before word, it's an after word. It's used to describe what happens to gold and the purification process that was used in gold. And so Jesus is using a word that would not necessarily describe the innocence and purity that we see in a child. He's talking about somebody that's been through something. And what does he say is the reward for someone who has been through something, the pure in heart. My heart has been purified. I've went through something and there was something gross in my heart. And because that was there and circumstances happened and God allowed it to, that issue was addressed. And I walked through a season of trial and difficulty, but God pulled that out of me. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. You see, the end result of that is that we get to see God in His fullness. Can I tell you something that you need to know today? You will never know if God can provide for you if you don't take a risk at some point now, for some of you, that's just as simple as saying, God asks us to give 10%. There it is. God, that's, a big, that's the biggest risk that I could take in my life. But you'll never know if God can provide for you unless you risk it. You'll never be able to step out of the security that you've put around finances and the barriers that maybe exist in your life. If you're not willing to say, you know, I feel, I feel like we're paying our bills. But I've got to step into God's plan. Because my security is not based in the fact that I'm looking at this. An income, outcome, net loss. I'm looking at Jesus' plan for my life. You will never know if God can heal, hurt, or pride until you're put in a position where those things come up in your life. And we get to see God when we go through something. How many of y'all know that that's true? Man, I see God When I go through something. And that's what Jesus is saying there. See, so we have the first thing that we need to be willing to do is to fight the right fight. But the second thing that we've got to do is we've got to watch what we want. In verse 3. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And and often, again, when we think about that terminology in our world, the way that we ascribe that to somebody is thinking about someone who's humble, who's kind. But again, to go back to the original language and what Jesus was saying, The word that's poor is really poorly translated as poor. It's actually better translated as someone who needs to beg. Now, that does obviously create the imagery of poverty or poor. But when you put that word right next to the word pneuma, which oftentimes in Scripture is translated Holy Spirit. Jesus in this verse is saying, Those that beg for God. If you're willing to beg and to plead, God, I just want you. I mean, all I want is you. God, I'm tired of everything that I've tried in my life that was utter failure. All I want is you, God. If we're willing to be beggars for the Spirit of God in our life, That God, through His grace, releases the kingdom of God in our life. You see, Jesus is speaking in that verse of that shift. That there's a shift that's got to occur in our hearts. If we're going to live in security, we have got to stop begging for other things and become people who beg for God Himself. Because that is where we find our security. Verse 6, again, he echoes a similar promise, but he says it's for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the interesting thing about this is that when he talks about hungering and thirsting, it means to hunger and thirst... (laughs) I mean just that's what it means. But the word righteousness in scripture is such a profound word. The word righteousness literally means to desire to be right. To desire to be right. So so when he says this again he's saying those that Hunger and thirst to be the kind of man and woman that God has called them to be. You know what's going to happen to that person? They're going to be filled. Because in our lives, I think all too often we hunger and thirst to be somebody else. But in reality, in reality, God wants us to hunger and to thirst For himself. And if you understand how he is teaching. With the positive and the negative. He's also telling us. That if we live our lives. Desiring anything other than Jesus. We'll never be filled. There will never be enough. What is it? Money? You'll never have enough. Is it relationships, women, men? There will never be enough. There will never be a satisfaction unless we hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if we're going to make this shift from living lives like the rest of the world around us lives, where lives are motivated and captivated by fear and we transition into lives that are motivated by faith. The shift that's going to have to happen in our hearts is that we're going to have to shift from being people who live lives where we find our security in everything else. You feel like you have a good job? Like you have a decent amount of income right now? I've seen men who have worked faithfully at companies for 30 years work their way up the corporate ladder, get laid off in their mid 50s, having given 30 years to a company, and go from being a very wealthy family to being a very impoverished family within a matter of months. You feel like your security is in relationships that are around you? For reasons that don't make sense, I've seen people turn on people just like that. Do you think your security is found in your situation, your holdings, your current treasure? Let me tell you that your security, if found there, will never be a security that is strong enough to hold you. Jesus says in this passage of Scripture that Verse nine. And this beautiful entry that he has to this sermon. He says this, and this is one of the most remarkable statements in all the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. they will be called sons of God. Now what's interesting about that little little verse is that that's the only time in all of Scripture that that word is used. But it's this beautiful foretelling of who God is through Jesus Christ. You see, as People who were born into sin, we were born with a broken relationship with God. And as a matter of fact, to live in security with Jesus, I've got to have a right relationship with Him. I've got to be following Him. I've got to be executing His plan in my life if I'm going to live in that security. And in this little verse, Jesus gives us this picture of what's to come. Because He becomes the peacemaker for us. You see, if we're going to shift our lives from being motivated by fear to a life that's motivated by faith, really what happens is we shift where I put my fear at. Because what's really ridiculous is that many of us are more scared of what our employer will say about us than what Jesus says about us. I'm a lot more afraid about some of us being the kind of people that would say, I'm more worried, I'm more anxious about what my husband thinks about me than what my Jesus Thinks about me. And really. Walking out of a life. That's motivated by fear. And into the security. Of faith in Jesus. Means that I put fear. Which is natural and healthy. Into the right place. And I fear God. Because when I live that. With this. Healthy faith, not an unhealthy fear. Somehow, somehow God creates a peace. Jesus steps into the broken mess and makes peace. When I'm living in fear and my life is filled with anxiety and worry, it is absent of peace. Peace. But when I step into a life that's motivated and founded on top of faith in Jesus, when he becomes central in my life, somehow peace begins to reign. Financial troubles come. It's not my finances anyway. It's not my problem to fix. I'm simply executing the plan that God gave me. I'm having problems at work. That's fine. I'm going to be obedient to God. So let me ask you a question. Where's your peace? Where is peace in your life? Because when we've made that shift, when I've shifted my security out of an insecure place into the right place where it's supposed to be, when the security of my life is founded solely on Jesus, somehow peace reigns. So where is your peace? When that unexpected bill comes... That you weren't expecting to show up in the mail. Where is your peace? When your kids start going crazy. Start throwing temper tantrums. And throwing up everywhere. When stuff at home just goes nuts. Where's your peace? When your wife's mad at you because you. Gave her a gift that was a little too big. Where's your peace? When your husband doesn't talk to you for a day or two. Where's your peace? When you feel lonely. Forgotten. when you feel like everything in this world is broken and lost, where is your peace? Because if we've made the shift in those moments, our peace is not to be found in our circumstances, but to be found in Jesus. Because He our security. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you for the the tender reminder, God, that you still create peace in our lives. God, thank you for showing us that even in the midst of, of difficulty, if we'll be the kind of people that are willing to fight, For the relationship that we have with you. God if we'll be. The kind of people. That want and desire. You more than anything else. God if we can be. Those kind of folks. Or you could do something. Really good in our hearts. You can. Lead us out of fear. And into security. So with every. Every. Head bowed, nobody looking around. I, I just feel like I want to ask you a question or two this morning. If you're here today and you would say that you know what, I I don't have any peace in my life because I have never, not even a little bit, transferred any of my security towards Jesus. If that's you today and you say, you know what that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to transfer I want to get out of a place where my security is found in broken things but where it's placed solely in Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? I see those hands. it's good. And maybe for some of you that are here today, you would look back and see that life has been motivated by a lot of fear. It's kept you from doing some things that you feel like God's called you to do. And maybe today as we, as we think about it, we talk remember and reflect. Maybe today you would say, you know what, I want to make a shift. I, I, I realize that I've, I've given my life to Jesus, but, but I've been motivated by fear so much in my life that I want to be living a life in security with faith in Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? That's awesome awesome let me pray for you guys dear Jesus today as we as we just pause in your presence Lord we just want to we just want to just make a shift for many of us in here That might be scary, but it's the good kind of scary. Because the comfort that we felt and the security that we felt is not really security at all. So God, call us out to make that shift, to make that transition. So that when we walk out of this place today, God, we walk out of fear. Instead of in fear, we walk out in security. Because, God, you deserve that. You've already played peacemaker for us. You've already resolved the issue of our brokenness. And so because of your goodness, God, we can be made right. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.